There will definitely be persecution, difficulties, tribulation, trial. In fact, we call it the Great Tribulation, not because of its intensity, but because of its length. It will last the entire period of time from Jesus' return to heaven and his return to earth at the end of history. had accomplished great things for the Lord. He had visited much of the known world to spread the gospel. The apostle established churches and collected aid for the saints in Jerusalem. Now he waits in prison. Yet even Paul's downtime has a purpose in God's plan. Welcome to No Falling Word with Liam Gallagher. While under arrest, Paul had the opportunity to speak before the rulers and power brokers of his day. It was also the time that Paul wrote the letters that would become part of the New Testament. Turn to Acts chapter 26 as Liam Gallagher explains how God used setbacks in Paul's life to accomplish great things and how the Lord can do the same with us. Well, do take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 26. This is a, a revisit to this chapter. We looked at it last time. And last time we looked at the speech as a whole, its impact on those who were present. We looked at some of the company that was there, King Agrippa and his sister, who were part of the audience, uh, Festus, who was the governor, and so on. We looked at the speech as a whole. But I want this evening to revisit the speech and to look at a section that I deliberately omitted last time. And those of you who were here and didn't notice that I'd omitted a section Shame on you. Report to me afterwards, and I'll give you some work to do as punishment exercise. So we're coming back to that this evening, and and, uh, I hope as we go on, you'll, you'll pick up what it is that we're looking at. So Jesus, when he was looking into the future, Luke's already recorded this in his first volume, what we call Luke chapter 21. As he's looking into the future... He said something to his disciples that was both sobering and encouraging. Let me read to you what he said. They, they, referring to authorities, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be a time for you to bear testimony or to bear witness. So there's a sobering aspect, and the sobering aspect is that although the cause of Jesus Christ will ultimately, at the end of the day, triumph, and it will triumph, the book of Revelation is in the Bible to tell you the Lamb wins in the end. But though that cause is to triumph ultimately, And that the whole universe, the whole universe will be caught up in the triumph of Jesus in the end because he is alive and he is sovereign and he is building his church. In the short term, in the in-between time between Jesus' resurrection and Jesus' return, there will definitely be persecution, difficulties, tribulation, trial. In fact, we call it the Great Tribulation, not because of its intensity, but because of its length. It will last the entire period of time from Jesus' 
return to heaven and his return to earth at the end of history. That's the sobering aspect. But the encouraging aspect of this is that God intends that the persecution and imprisonments and the tribulation and the trials will in fact be a strategic opportunity for witness to the gospel of Jesus. This will be a time for you to bear testimony. Imprisonment, persecution might interrupt your evangelistic strategy, but it will not interrupt God's evangelistic strategy. That's the lesson. And when you come to look at the life of the Apostle Paul, you see how much of Paul's witness to Christ doesn't go according to plan. We know that Paul is a master planner. He's, he is a brilliant man. He's brilliant not just in the sense of the scholar who is brilliant but has no social skills. Not that I know of any people like that present. He's not like that. He is brilliant in the sense of a scholar. He is a master scholar, but he is brilliant organizationally. He's brilliant. He's, that's very unusual to get those two things together. Not only that, but he's socially skilled as well. And Paul has strategies. You can't read the end of Romans, for example, chapter 15, and, and you can't read the book of Acts without seeing that Paul is working according to a pattern. If you read Acts and uh, you see in the, in the Hebrew Scriptures, for example, in Isaiah, how Isaiah talks about the Gentile nations being reached with the gospel, and he mentions the names of some of these great nations or these great areas that will be reached for the gospel. And you look at the places that Paul goes to in Turkey, what is now Turkey, in Asia Minor then, a Roman province, and you see the places that he goes to, and you take those and you superimpose it on what Isaiah talks about, you see that Paul is visiting all of the places that Isaiah said the gospel would go to in the end. He has a strategy. And when he collects money from those places to take back to Jerusalem, to support the church there in the midst of famine and trouble and trial. He takes the money from these places because Isaiah the prophet speaks about the wealth of these nations coming to Jerusalem in order to sustain the people there. He has a strategy. And God sometimes breaks into his strategy. Jesus said, they will deliver you up to prisons, take you before governors and kings, and that will be a time for witness. In other words, even when you haven't planned for it, God is going to use it as an opportunity to witness to his name, even when you haven't planned. So, for example, our text today is from Paul's testimony to King Agrippa II in Acts chapter 26. How did it happen that this obscure Jewish Christian missionary has an audience with the king of Palestine? How does that happen? It wasn't Paul's plan. For two years, by the time we read this, for two years he has been in prison on false charges in Caesarea. Two years. 
You don't plan when you're doing your life strategy as the route you want to take. You don't plan for two years in jail. And Paul hadn't planned for that either. But listen to this. During those two years in jail, Paul has been able to give his testimony, not his personal testimony, he's been able to talk about the work of Jesus to the Jewish Sanhedrin, the highest court in Judaism, just like Jesus said he would. During those two years, there have been plots against his life. He was arrested. He was then put in protective custody because the Jews wanted to kill him. And he was moved to Caesarea to the coast where the governor had his palace and he was kept there. And there he had the opportunity to speak to Felix, who was a Roman governor. What was it Jesus said? You will take you before governors. So he's taken before the Sanhedrin. He speaks to Felix, the governor, the Roman governor in Caesarea. After two years in prison, he's brought before the Roman governor Festus, who is Felix's replacement, and he is able to speak to him. And now Festus has set it up that he is able to speak now to King Agrippa II, one of the Herods, and he's able to stand and give testimony to him. So the Jew, sole Jewish Sanhedrin, three of the highest political officials in Palestine, Felix, Festus, and Agrippa, all hear the gospel. Why? Because Paul has been arrested and imprisoned on false charges. And we know even more than Acts tells us. We know that while he was in prison there in Caesarea, he's busy writing letters. They're the letters like Philippians and so on. These letters were written at that time. In other words, God had gospel purposes for the setbacks in Paul's life. Now I wonder, I wonder if you're sitting here today and you think, as you look at your life, that you've had some kind of setback. You've had a two-year setback in your life, a detour that you hadn't planned in your life, some big shift or change that didn't fit into the plan that you had in your head for your life. I wonder if that's happened to you. It's happened to me. In fact, in some ways, I have to say, in some ways, I think, that, that my detour lasted nearly 30 years. I, honestly, I, I crossed the Atlantic when I was just a bright young thing, about 25, and we went to Canada and we stayed there, and I kind of hoped that I'd be able to progress. And Paul Jones, I hope you're not listening, from Canada to the United States. But then I guess it's okay, because he did the same. That, that was... That was my plan in my head. I don't think I ever told it to my wife, <laughs> but that was my plan in my head. And then instead of moving south here, staying here, we went back to Britain. And there were times back there I thought, where is this little plan I had in my head? You know, I always thought that the Lord was kind of opening this up for me, this was, that this was his purpose for me. And it never came to pass. And I was nearly in my grave. Oh, well. That's exaggerating a little bit. Before I got back here again. But so the detours can take. But while I was in that detour, you see, God opened up a university mission opportunity for me so that I was able to visit most of the universities in 
the United Kingdom and in, in Europe to have an evangelistic ministry there that I wouldn't have had probably if I stayed in Canada. So God used that detour. And perhaps you feel as if you are in the midst. By the way, when you're in the detour, you don't feel. <laughs> you just feel miserable. You just feel you feel as if you've lost your way. You don't, you don't, you know, I can talk about this now that I'm here in this place. But it took a long while to get from there to here. And when you're in it, when you're in it, you don't see what's going on. And what I'm saying to you is, when the Lord says to his disciples, prison, persecution, detour, but that will be your time for testimony. Realize in the detour, there is a purpose. It is a gospel purpose. Whatever it is, wherever it is you find yourself right now, it is God's intention to use you. Well, let's come back to Paul's speech to Agrippa. We looked at that in greater detail last time, so I just want to focus in on the bit that I missed this time. Jesus appears to Saul as he was on the road to Damascus, and what the apostle now is saying, now is Paul, is saying to King Agrippa is a number of things, quite straightforward. First of all, Christ the King revealed himself to the apostle. Christ the King. There was a revelation. There was this blinding light brighter than the sun in its strength. What light? What light is greater than the sun in its strength. I've kind of got light in my head here because I'm miserable in the darkness of up this place here. And long for the day somebody will get the message that I want backlighting here, which is what you do in this kind of space. That's me, that's me done my advert. That needs to get done and it needs to be done soon. That's back to the point. What light is, what light is, because I can't see and you can't see. And the people on the webcast can't see, and it's time we could see. Uh, and it would make you feel a bit brighter in the dullness of these evening services. It would. It would brighten you all up, and you'd be happier looking. And you'd be able to see that there is actually people out there. Okay. So what brightness is brighter than the sun in its strength? Answer, the glory of God is brighter than the sun in its strength. And Paul saw the glory of God. God appeared to him. There's more. First words of Jesus were, verse 16, get up on your feet, stand up on your feet. That was exactly the same command that God gave to Ezekiel, the prophet in the Old Testament, when Ezekiel saw the brightness of the glory of God and he fell face down when he saw the glory of God. God said to Ezekiel, I'm going to quote here what God said to Ezekiel, son of man, stand up on your feet. I am sending you to the Israelites. Paul, Jesus said to Paul, I am sending you to the Gentiles. God said to Ezekiel, I am sending you to the Israelites. You must speak my words to them. Here is Jesus explaining the purpose of the revelation. I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you. Servant and witness. Those two words used here, in a sense, bracket the whole of Luke's work, because he has begun his work back in Luke chapter 1, 
talking about writing a narrative of the things that have been accomplished amongst us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers or servants of the word that was delivered to them. So what Luke is saying is, Paul belongs to those people who were witnesses and servants, eyewitnesses and servants, that is, eyewitnesses of the resurrection of Jesus, and servants of the Word of God delivered to them. But he's saying more than that. Not only is Jesus, does Jesus stand among those people who were witnesses of these things, he saw the, the risen Jesus and was a witness to that, but what Luke is telling us is that Paul's call by Jesus is distinctive in that his call more closely resembles the call of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and other Old Testament prophets, because his ministry is going to have similar weight to their ministry. He's called by name twice, Saul. Saul, just as Moses was called by name twice, Samuel was called by name twice. He's commanded to stand on his feet as Ezekiel was commanded to stand on his feet. He is promised that he will be rescued from harm by those to whom he will be sent, just as the Lord promised Jeremiah that he would be with him and rescue him from harm. And he has this distinctive ministry. Do you notice? He has this distinctive ministry in that he will be an instrument of the will of Jesus, a servant of Jesus, offering, basically being an assistant, an assistant to the risen Lord, an instrument of his will, giving faithful, sacrificial service to believers and unbelievers in Jesus' name in face of opposition and persecution and deprivation. And as a witness, that's the servant, as a witness, he stands beside all those other apostles as an eyewitness of the resurrected Jesus. A witness, notice the language Jesus uses, a witness of what you have seen, but also a witness to what you will see, for there will be further revelations from Jesus further manifestations of Jesus' power to be given to Paul. There will be new depths of truth that will be unveiled to the eyes of this man which he will pass on to us. And everything, everything, do you notice in the context, everything that he passes on to us can be tested against what has already been revealed by the prophets and Moses. You see, he says in verse 22, I stand here testifying to both small and great, saying nothing but what, was, what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. This was not new truth. This was all truth illuminated by the Spirit of God. He was commissioned to be a servant and a witness. He is commissioned in terms of an apostle and a prophet. 
There's nobody today in the church, nobody today in the church, that combines those two elements in themselves, that they are apostles and prophets. The church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. The foundation has been laid. The rest of us build on that foundation. Where is that foundation? It's in our New Testament. It is the truth that was revealed to the apostles and prophets like Paul. He'd had a revelation from Christ the King. Second, his task is to open the eyes of unbelievers. Look at this. I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Now, that word sanctified there is used in a covenantal and corporate sense. It has to do with uh, people who have been set apart by God. God has put a fence around them and said, these are my people. It is an objective sanctification. Sometimes we use the word sanctification in a subjective sense. We're thinking about being made holy, of growing in holiness, growing in righteousness, and so on. But the Bible often uses the word, perhaps primarily uses the word, in an objective sense of people or things that are set apart for the exclusive use of God himself. So, for example, in chapter 20, verse 32, Paul indicates that the word of grace that he preached would give to these people an inheritance among those who are sanctified, that is, set apart. God has put them to one side and said, these are mine. When Paul is writing the Corinthians, they're not a very good lot. This Corinthian church is a bit of a ragbag church. It's, it's, not, you know, it's not your favorite church. It's your church from hell, to be honest. But even writing to the Corinthian church, Paul can write about these saints there. He can say about them, that you have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, set apart. Set apart for what? Set apart for the forgiveness of sins. Set apart to have faith in Christ as Lord. That's the, the big goal. So Paul goes then armed with the Word of God, and this Word of God is a creative Word of God, and he goes out specifically to address the issue of unbelief and its effects to open their eyes. See, this is the real fundamental problem we face. The, the real issue that we face as the church in engaging the world is not, is not that if we use simple language, if we use more illustrations, if you had a funnier minister, if you had, or a trendier minister, or you had, you know, the most trendy and wonderful technical means of communication, that somehow or other, that would make it easier to reach people who are outside of Christ or unbelievers. Now, that doesn't mean we've got to make it harder for them. It doesn't mean we've got to make it more difficult for them. But the fundamental problem, you see, is this. The God of this age, Paul writes to the Corinthians, Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them 
from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the likeness of God. That's the problem. Spiritual blindness. And Jesus says to Paul, I'm sending you out because I want to heal that blindness. That's the goal of evangelism. And we go out with what? We go out with the Word of God, the Word of Jesus. You're listening to No Falling Word, featuring the teaching of Dr. Liam Gallagher. We hope you enjoyed today's message. We'd like to send you a free CD by the teacher and editor of the Christ Word Collective, Nick Batzig. The CD is entitled, Today, If You Hear His Voice. Just as God spoke to His people through the prophets of the Old Testament, He is speaking to believers today through the words of the New Testament writers. You can receive your free CD or learn more about this radio ministry by calling 1-800-488-1888. You can also write to us at 600 Eden Road, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, 17601. If you enjoy the teaching of Liam Gallagher, would you consider supporting this radio ministry so that Liam can continue to bring you sound teaching from the Word of God? Call 1-800-488-1888 to make a donation. And thank you for listening today. Liam is an author, theologian, and pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church in Center City, Philadelphia, at the corner of 17th and Spruce Streets. If you'd like to visit Liam's home church, we invite you to stop by any Sunday for services at either 9 or 11 a.m. or at 6.30 p.m. The Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals has many resources available for you, including books and audio messages by Liam Gallagher and other Reformed theologians and teachers. Why not take a minute and look them over by visiting our website at www.alliancenet.org. None of us enjoys setbacks in our lives, those times when our plans are put on hold. But those very setbacks are often God's appointments and serve His purposes. Join us next time on No Falling Word as Liam Gallagher continues his study of Acts 26 and examines the purpose of God's holds on Paul's ministry. That's coming up next time on No Falling Word.